The short game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I'm joined this week by just my bro host. How you doing, Shane? I am doing great. And uh, this week we are talking about Tinykin. Uh, Tinykin is a 3D platformer with vaguely Pikmin-ish elements that came out last year. So this was one of the games that we wanted to cover during the year last year, but didn't get around to for various reasons, but... Uh, over the holidays, this was something that I just put on on the Xbox, you know, on Game Pass while I was sitting around with uh, my daughter, and she thought it was really cute, and so we thought we'd talk about it this week. Yeah, this was a, a really good game for for just chilling out over the holidays. I did a little bit of playing it about the same time you did, I think, uh, but I've been bouncing around with this for a while since it hit Game Pass. Uh, it's a game that my, right now... Um, Pretty regularly, my son is asking to, to watch me play, so he's loving it. That's awesome. Yeah, my daughter, too. Um, the the big hit for her on Game Pass has been the Peppa Pig game. <laughs> I which, watched her uh, play that. That's so funny. It is really, <laughs> it's just absolutely gobsmackingly boring, and, uh, and, you know, Daddy Pig continues to be just an, an offensive presence in the universe, and I hate Peppa Pig with serious passion uh but you know it's a it's a game that my daughter can control all by herself and that's pretty cool uh so it's been it's been neat to see her play around with that but her maximum session length with that is about 30 minutes and then she starts wanting me to control peppa pig she'll like you know she'll mess around with it until she gets a little frustrated i'm like no 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 peppa pig's your thing kid that's not that's not a daddy game uh but tinykin tinykin is a daddy game and it's uh it's on game pass i picked it mainly because Game Pass actually doesn't have a ton of totally non-violent games. Um, you know, there, there's not uh, a ton of that in general, I would say. Yeah, um, it's it's tricky. If you want to play a game with a four-year-old in your lap, um, it, it's hard to find something that is, you know, more engaging than Peppa Pig and less violent than, I don't know, you know, half of the stuff on Game Pass that is really about guns or what have you. And it's not that I have any issues with that. It's just, you know, it's just a weird vibe to play. I don't play violent video games in front of my kids, at least not yet. That's just not a bridge I've crossed. Um, But Tinykin is so cute. I do. My son, my son is bloodthirsty. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen your son egg you on about Elden Ring. It's so funny. Yeah. He's like, Daddy, don't you want to play Elden Ring? And so he's he's still I mean sidebar here um he really likes if it is not a two player game cuz he he and I started playing games with stuff like uh you know uh well two player uh the recent Mario games or Kirby uh if I'm playing a game that doesn't have a second player in it he'll look for some character and he's like which one should I be and he'll just like kind of dance around the TV and like egg me on uh pretending to be that character and Elden Ring has these summons right so I show uh-huh. him all the summons that there are these like um, ghost ashes that you can summon these ghosts in different places. Um, and so Ty has decided that his character in Elden Ring is Lutel the Headless. <laughs> Lutel the I'm Headless. Gonna Google, 
I got a Google is, a picture of Lutel yeah, the Headless. Uh, Lutel the Headless is a uh, mausoleum knight, uh, which means uh, that uh, uh, they kind of lurk around these giant walking mausoleums. Um, Lutel the Headless is one of them. I'm glad Ty chose Lutel um, because Lutel is a super useful summon because uh, Lutel has like a teleport and is really good for kind of kiting bosses around. Uh, Lutel has a... <laughs> Just like Ty. <laughs> yeah, has a spear that's on fire, which is pretty sweet. Mm-hmm. So like a rain, a teleporting character with a ranged attack, like really useful as like a, a buddy in the boss fights. So a uh, good choice, Ty. Uh, five-year-olds know their stuff when it comes to Elden Ring. Uh, I'm glad he and... can be of assistance. That's great. Yes. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah. So there you have it. Uh, my son, Lutel the Headless. <laughs> well, well, and, and my daughter, Peppa Pig, or actually Peppa Pig's friend. The game has this incredibly uh, cute character. Crea- incredibly cute is overdoing it because the Peppa Pig art style is kind of repellent. But um, it has it has a pretty solid little character creator where a kid can create a little friend to visit Peppa Pig. And that's who you're controlling in the game. Um, and my daughter hates that. She's she keeps going back to it and creating you know, like new friends, and then deciding that the friend she has created is garbage and wants to make a new one. But that means resetting the save game. Uh, so we've started that game over several times. Fortunately, it doesn't matter because the game is just a collection of random events that happen when you wander around. Um, but yeah, um, playing games with kids. Uh, Tinykin. Uh, Tinykin is uh, a game in the kind of expanding little subgenre of you're a little tiny guy in a, in an area of of big people stuff. And this is like one of my favorite tropes in all of anything, you know, borrowers type of stuff, you know, the the like little tiny dude in a big world. Um in some ways like the uh, early game or early level uh um stuff in like um uh, Katamari Damacy has this kind of charm the the like I am a tiny person and exploring a regular sized person's space as if everything is you know huge and I have to takes a lot of effort to jump up onto a couch for example that's what really drew me to mm-hmm. Tinykin um, the other big sort of hook here is that it is a game about manipulating little tinier dudes the Tinykin themselves in a way that is very reminiscent of the Pikmin series I'm not really into Pikmin um, so this game, actually, I held uh, yeah. off on playing it for quite a while because um, it's a 3D platformer and I'm usually allergic. And uh, it's a uh, it's a game that's largely based on Pikmin and I don't really dig Pikmin. I played a good amount of the one on the Wii U, um, but never finished it. Otherwise, I'm just not really into, I, you know, I haven't played a ton of other Pikmin games. Um, what I have played of them, I, I never really jived with that much. You know, I played the the one on Wii U because it was on the Wii U and I had one. So I downloaded the demo for uh, Pikmin 3, which I, I think is the Wii U one. Uh, yeah, but yeah, it, it was ported uh, to Switch. Yeah, it's ported to Switch. So I downloaded the demo of that because I was, you know, I after a few successes, I was like, what other Nintendo games is Ty going to be really into? We weren't really into Pikmin. Um, you know, we played a few levels of it. The problem with it as a multiplayer game is which how, how we wanted to play it is, um, you know, the, the split screen element didn't really work that well for him. And, and the controls are pretty complicated for, for what it is. But um, it's funny because when I showed him um, when I showed him Tinykin, he's like, oh, this is just like Pikmin. And you remember, you know, you're right. You know, you're 100 percent right, kid. Uh, this is exactly like Pikmin. Uh, 
but in my opinion, better uh, in a lot of ways. Yeah, there's a couple of ways that I think I liked it better than Pikmin. Um, Pikmin had a lot less of the platforming. The platforming here uh, actually worked for me in a way that was really surprising. Uh, I'll talk about that in a minute, but like I think it really ties into the fact that this game has an incredible setting. You know, the, this house, uh, this this '90s house that is uh, that is uh, you know just at a, at a massive scale. Um, so that really was what what made this game. In fact, actually, uh, I forgot to do our segment. Here we are, only the third or. I think third instance of me trying to insert a banter segment into the show uh, and force it on everyone, despite everyone's objections. And here I am forgetting it until 10 minutes in. I object. What am I doing? So Shane, Shane, in honor of the fact that this game is set in an alternate 90s or current 90s, uh, it, it is set in, in a house in the 1990s. Space 90s. I wanted to ask you a uh, a question. What element of this is the segment Reagan mm. that has yet has no name. Reagan asks a vaguely video game related question at the top of the show to encourage banter or enforce banter. <laughs> I think we could call the um, I, could, I think we could call the segment Reagan's natural conversations. <laughs> yes, Reagan has perfectly natural ways of inserting these sorts of things into easy breezy you know, show, this particular episode because it's just the two of us i really didn't feel like it needed it but i feel like also i've set myself up where if i skip it now I, i'm surrendering mm-hmm. so i have to Got i it. have to do this um so the question that i prepared in advance because that's very natural is uh what element of gaming from the 90s would you bring back in it today hmm. um I would bring back um, same screen co-op. That was something that was really common. I know it still exists. It's just not as common as it was uh, in the 90s. The 90s was like an era of the uh, like character platformer and you mm-hmm. know your your Sonic and Tails. Like they just put out a brand new Sonic game. No Tails uh, as a you know yeah. you can't same screen co-op with Tails in that, which means that I'm probably not going to be, you know, popping it on for uh, some co-op with the the kiddo. And uh, I just think that's a that's an element of games that's a little bit uh, lacking today. I know it exists yeah. and we have had some great examples of it, but it's really only wet my appetite for it. And it still feels like something that is a little uncommon um, and would be like a very welcome addition to a lot of different games that are coming out. I can think of like a lot of games that we played in this past year where I was like, they could just have a second guy on the screen. Um, I, can you imagine like vampire survivors with a second guy? Honestly? Yeah, that would work. Yeah. Can you, Probably. can you imagine, uh, I don't know. What, what other games can you imagine that we've played recently that would be, that would benefit from a second guy? Hmm. Um. Let's see. This, this game would 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 this work game pretty would well. probably work okay with a second. Tiny guy. Kid would be yeah. great with a with a tails in there. Yeah. Maybe just give him a slightly different power set. Maybe he can't. Maybe you mm-hmm. know, second guy can't throw the tiny kin, but he has, I don't know, a jetpack or something a little different than the bubble. Like I don't know. Yeah. Something like to that. me, like the ideal is a tails, and the the thing that was so good about tails is he was he was the little brother character. Like, yeah, authentically he behaves like a little brother to Sonic. Um, but the character is designed for the little brother to play. Um, so, you know, his, 
His powers are 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 similar, but he has some abilities like the flying that help him kind of recover. He's good at helping the main character uh, mm-hmm. get to uh, get to hard to reach places. And uh, he is good for experimenting and collecting things. And, uh, you know, the, you you don't have a like a individual life pool. Tails always comes back, you know, if you get smushed or, or, or run off the screen. That's key, I think, for for like a little brother or, you know, kid in your lap type of character. Like, I think um, my answer was going to be uh, illustrated strategy guides. Uh, I actually was thinking about it a little bit when we were playing when I was playing through this totally because there agree. were some some levels where I was, you know, a little bit stuck and the you know looking for how do I get to, you know, what, what like there's a like this game each each zone, each room or whatever usually has a number of objects you need to find and collect as part of, you know, progressing the story. Now, do you mean strategy guides or like the pack-in manual? Well, I'm thinking more of the like illustrated strategy guides specifically. So like as opposed to, you know, what I have to do today if I get really stuck on a uh, on a game is usually I have to first I try a Google search and sometimes there are these, you know, websites like Polygon or whatever you have you that have these content farmed um articles where they're like here's where to find the you know headless summon in elden ring or whatever um for seo purposes um and you know fair enough those are great those are useful um but uh if that doesn't exist or if you don't want to just do the google searching thing the other way to do it is like you know videos you have to skim through a video neither of those is really what i want what i miss is like they'd be you have a book and you'd open that book and, you know, I'm on page three of the book or 12 of the book or whatever. And here's some screenshots of the game. Here's some illustrations or cool art or whatever that they happen to scrounge together. Here's somebody's draw, you know hand-drawn map. Um, what I miss is the like the feeling of like uh, like everything I need is right here in a book. Um, and maybe the book doesn't have to be an actual book, but like it never feels like there's like like one place you can go for for that stuff to quickly find what you what you're interested in. And also visuals like you know i've done the game facts thing but you have to be able to translate between text and what's you know your experience in the game Um, and if things don't have like proper names like where do i find the x or y thing and you don't know the specific name that's used for it it's very hard to google for things it's very hard to find something in a game fact i really miss the visuals of a uh, actual printed strategy guide especially illustrated or even hand illustrated i love that so that would be what i would bring back it's hard i don't know what form you could bring that back in today that would make financial sense nobody wants to buy a 40 dollar book yeah i don't know i, I kind of want to jump off of that a little bit there was a book that we had um as as kids that was the uh i think it was called something like uh blockbuster secret codes 98 uh, and it was a like a big full ass. It looked like a phone book, and it basically was just an index of all the cheat codes for all the games at Blockbuster, and they would just sell it by the register. And uh, what a what a what an <laughs> what an item that was. I mean. Uh, I miss that, actually. Yeah, this is sort of like, you know, tips and tricks. You know, here's a book with all the the cheat codes for all the games kind of thing. Um, Were kind of great back in their in their day, too. But I always felt like they were kind of mad because there usually weren't any pictures. And they, you know, with something like an RPG or whatever, it would be like, here's a code for infinite gill. But you wouldn't be like, where do I go next? I forgot what the king said. Like, it's kind of a different kind of thing. Oh, yeah. That was the that was the early uh, the late nineties early two thousands version of accessibility settings. By the way, every game was so ridiculously hard that uh, they 
they had to have those special cheat codes in there. Um, I recently, I mean, this is a bit too much of a sidebar, sorry, but I recently was um, sitting down with our, our friend Michelle and we were reminiscing and then sat down to play the um, the Lion King game from uh, Genesis and SNES. And that is one of the most brutally difficult oh, yeah. games. Oh, I've gone back uh, and played ever. that. Yeah, that one. Uh, so there's a there's the the first level is already pretty punishing. The second level is the the one based on um, I can't wait to be king, and yes, and the giraffe heads. Yeah, so you the giraffe to, heads it's, are brutal. It's it's just ridiculous what a incredible level of precision they're asking of uh, Lion King fans to get past level two <laughs> in that game. It's uh, it's a series of, I mean, it, it, there are, um, there are like Maso core platformers today that, uh, could, could easily crib something from roar at the monkeys, uh, mm-hmm. in that game anyway. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was, oh, that was all, I mean, you know, we're, we're still on sidebar time here, but like it was all, that was all, you know, due to the rental market just being weird mm-hmm. over here. Um, it was different in Japan because they had made game rentals illegal. You couldn't rent video games according to their copyright law at the time that, you know, companies like Nintendo successfully lobbied for over here. The game companies were terrified that game rentals would completely eat their lunch on these games. They were selling for a hundred bucks a cartridge back in the you know nineties. Um, and maybe it would have, I don't know, but they would in, you know, artificially inflate the difficulty of some of those early game levels for specifically that reason to like be a meat wall <laughs> for people, uh, renting the game to get them to buy it. Um, and, uh, they, they really won against me, man. I never beat a game that I rented never once kind of sucks in retrospect. I barely be- beat any games that we owned. Yeah, that's true. It was, it was weird times. I also did not beat Tinykin. Uh, I will also own to having not beaten Tinykin. We, uh, I played a good deal of Tinykin over the holidays, um, I but I have not beaten it yet. I made it into the third level uh, of Tinykin, and there are six levels. Uh, let me let me get into a little bit of the description of those levels and how you how you get started. Mm-hmm. Um, the the story of Tinykin starts off with like a little astronaut, and you know there's. Uh, this is almost identical to the story of uh, of Pikmin, by the way. Uh, trouble in space. Uh, crash land on a planet. Uh, turns out that planet is probably basically Earth, but maybe far in the future or something like that. Uh, in this case, you're you've crash landed on a on a planet and you end up in a um, residential home that looks like it's from the '90s in terms of its you know tech and aesthetics. Um, it is vastly out of scale with, uh, you who are tiny and it is populated by, uh, little teeny tiny bugs. So the, the whole, the whole aesthetic to me is perfect and charming that the whole, um, world is, you know, a, a, a chair or a table might have been turned into a building. Like, you know, you, you see furniture made out of matchsticks, you see, uh, you know, the little little towns and stuff that have sprung up, little warring factions of different kinds of bugs that have sprung up in different corners of the room, and uh, that all of that is uh, is incredible. The look of the game has a really unique visual style that, for me, um, is rare and excellent. Uh, the 
room and all of the furniture and the level itself is all 3D. This is a 3D platformer, but all of the characters are um, beautiful, hand-drawn, cartoonish sprites um, that are kind of placed in three dimensions um, in a way that's really... um, it's very well done. Like many of the characters are drawn from different angles and things like that, but mostly, you know, they're just like little cutouts, uh, kind of placed in, in the environment. Yeah. Paper Mario style is what I thought of. Yeah. That, that's a good touch, touch point for that. And rarely have I seen that done as well, like merging those two styles, uh, as this, it, it has a really, uh, just smooth look to it. And, you know, that's the the problem with that in some cases is like, well, I'm going to be doing like 3D platforming. So uh, how is my 2D character going to move in 3D space? Am I going to be able to land the jump stuff like that? Am I really going to know where I'm supposed to be standing? Sometimes you might expect like hitbox problems and things like that. I didn't really have any of that issue with Tiny Yeah, Kid. I, I like expected it, it to so be worse well. too. Looking at it in screenshots, I thought like, well, you know, it, like the character art looks charming, but it did seem a little... Initially, I was like, oh, that's kind of odd having these very two-dimensional characters in this three very well-realized 3D spaces. Um, but it immediately worked once it was in motion. Like, it just made sense. I never had any issues. And, and uh, the the 3D platforming, like like I said, I'm usually kind of allergic to 3D platformers. I don't like them very much. I don't play modern 3D platformers very much. If I see something as a 3D platformer, especially one that involves collectibles, I'm usually not very interested um, you know, like everybody, I played some during the nineties and early two thousands on, you know, the, the, you know, I think the last one that I remember like playing in that era was like, I was really into the Jack and Daxter games. The first one was a pretty straight up yep. 3d platformer. Um, but not a ton of those really. Um, but, uh, this one mostly worked for me and I, I did some thinking about this and it, it really comes down to the settings for me. Like what this game really did well, it has good level design. Uh, and the the Pikmin mechanic, which we'll talk about a little bit more, you know, it, it makes sense if you played Pikmin, but if you haven't, we'll we'll explain it a little bit. But the main thing that I think pushed this over the edge for me in terms of working as a 3D platformer is just the fact that all of the settings are contained in these rooms. Um, on a typical 3D platformer, you know, there's this part of your brain you have to engage that's like about learning the 3D space and how different areas might connect to one another. And like, you might see something and try to have to figure out a way up to it or what have you like that. And, and obviously like judging jumps and whatnot. Um, but I always find myself turned around and lost in 3d platformers. Um, the last time I had this experience really, really badly was that game from the like heart machine people that I really wanted to like and hated. Um, what was it called? Um, that incredibly like, uh, day glow thing from, uh, um, yeah. Uh, like surfing around solar ash. Yeah. I enjoyed solar ash, ash, but I, I think I had the same issue as you. Uh, I can see how like having this dreamscapes of, of like wild Uh color that really threw me off. But like in this game, you're navigating around like a bedroom and you immediately start building a mental map of it with like your basic brain. Like, well, okay, I'm in a bedroom. Over there is a bed. Over there is a desk. Uh, over there is a poster and underneath the poster is a thing with a with a CD player on it. Like that stuff just starts clicking into place in my brain in a way that like it's going to be over the purple blob and behind the Tower of Bones never does. Like for me, like I, this, this immediately had a mental map, every single room. And so even the ones that were a little weirder, like this, the level where it's like a bunch of terrariums, I was immediately like, okay, it's a room. It's got terrariums in it. 
I'm in this terrarium. I know the layout of the room immediately. Did it also help that there was no combat in the game? Like this yes. is a, yeah, I, I think that it, it's, it's easy to not get turned around in a space when there's nothing like forcing you to literally turn around. That's true. Um, you know, and, and the, the, the way that this treats those like collectibles in every, in, in every corner also, I think helps, um, you know, there are these little blobs of glowing uh, yellow pollen everywhere. And this isn't like totally true for every, every surface in the game, but basically everywhere there's a lot of that stuff. And by looking and seeing where you have gotten it and where you haven't gotten it. um, And here's another place where like render distance really plays a part here. You can see the whole way across a lot of these places. Um, uh, Like you can, you can tell where you've been and where you haven't by like, Okay, I I grabbed a bunch of that golden pollen over there, so I've definitely been over there. Um, another thing they do that I think is really smart is uh, there you're constantly uh, because you're so small and you're like in these really tall spaces using the verticality. You're constantly finding these little um, silkworm bug things that will drop. Um, like lines that you can either climb or like ride up and down on your bar of soap, which you ride around on adorably. And that unlocks easy ways to get back up to the high up places. And that is a really, really good thing because being able to actually get up and survey the level and look and Mm -hmm. in a lot of cases, pretty much see everything really, really smart. Uh, One of my favorite levels was the second one where you get, there's like a big, it was the one with the terrariums, like you mentioned. And mm-hmm. I think there's like a big potted plant that's kind of overgrowing its pot in the middle of the room. And uh, climbing that makes it pretty easy to get to anywhere. I, I, you should mention the bar of soap and the, um, the the bubble glider. And then, of course, the actual tiny can. I want to talk about the powers in the game because uh, mm-hmm. they're very related to how you get around. Unfortunately, I've not played enough of this game to have gotten every color of Tinykin. Uh, I don't know if you did. No, I played a little farther than you did, but I, I don't <clears> think I've <throat> sure. uh, I, I haven't finished it yet either. I had like Th- this game, by the way, like uh, in terms of length, it's actually not super long. It's about six hours. Um, and uh, I think I was just playing or maybe seven or eight hours. If you're playing a little more completionist, I was playing at a bit slower pace because I only played this with my daughter. Uh, and, uh, she didn't want me to play it without her, which is, you know, fair enough. Uh, and, uh, she also had a lot of specific instructions about things she'd like me to go and do and look at. Um, so I was playing at a little slower, st- uh, slower pace and also only at times during the holidays when I could, uh, you know, boot up a game, uh, absent other responsibilities, which can be tricky. So, um, uh, I, I don't think either of us got all that far in it. I, I got a, I definitely played it for about four to five hours, I think. And I think I played through the first four levels, if I recall uh, correctly. Um, so if there are six levels, uh, that that makes about sense with what I kind of thought I'd experienced. Yeah, I, it also helps that like these levels have a lot of little, I, I think I put in more time, but got less far. The levels have a lot of adorable little hidden places that you can unlock things like you know opening a door to uh that leads into a cardboard box that's been converted into some sort of bug church things like that um and there's really charming um characters to interact with everywhere the uh the tinykin themselves you know you're picking them up in different places they're in these little eggs and you hatch them um there's 
the three that I was using, uh, there's like a, a kind of a generic pink one. That's the basic. And the pink mm-hmm. one is used to carry things around. They serve kind of a dual purpose of being like, uh, you know, you have to have a certain number of them to move things, which is often like how they gate progress to you know move this big, heavy thing out of the way. But then also they carry around um, inventory items for you. So they also kind of serve as an inventory. Uh, there's red ones, which you throw and they explode. Uh, and you can use those to kind of blast open areas. Uh, and then there's green ones, which can pile up into a... Uh, tower stacking on top of each other to basically make a ladder, uh, which is super useful, letting you reach higher space, higher places. Um, there's also blue ones and one other that I don't think I have messed with yet. Um, anyway, uh, the 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 way that you kind of interact with these little guys uh, has one big advantage over uh, Pikmin, which is Pikmin is much more of like a puzzle game and a like a real-time strategy combat game where you're like marshalling the Pikmin to go and fight for you, stuff like that. The the ones here in Tinykin, the Pikmin equivalents, uh, first off, you don't have to choose the right color to do the thing. You just hit the button and it sh- uses the right one. So it's if it's something you need that. to pick up, it does that. If it's something you need to blow up, it does that. If it's, uh, you know, I, I think for the green ones I was using, it, I can't remember what the control was exactly on that. But, you know, it, it's I think all you can manually choose between the colors of, of Tinykin, mm-hmm. but I don't think I ever actually had to. Yeah, I don't think you really need to. Uh, it's really straightforward. Uh, like, it's just it's just about, like, collecting them and having enough of them kind of following you around to progress through the different things you're trying to get through. And, you know, that works really well. Um, it makes things very seamless and, and it keeps you from having to, like... Uh, do the kind of micromanagement that you do in, in Pikmin. That's kind of the name of the game there. Um, and then, you know, you can see they're all related to a lot of the ones I was mentioning are related to unlocking new areas or getting past obstacles. Um, I did want to bring up the movement abilities in this game, which I thought were really good. Like it has your mm-hmm. basic run and jump, uh, but it has a glider uh, that's basically a bubble and you can kind of extend the time you can glide and it has my favorite thing, which is the soap bar, which is basically a skateboard. Uh, you're moving around really big spaces. And so it really, really helps that you have something that kind of lets you uh, like move really fast and, and slide around. And the the feeling of sliding around on that bar of soap is really good. Like you can, you know, really book it down, uh, down slopes. Like there was a, there was a banister, you know, that I had to slide down a few times. That's, that's really good. And, uh, all of the places where you, where you find that useful, including, like I mentioned before, those like silk, uh, strands that you can use to get up to higher places. Um, anytime I was cruising around on that bar of soap felt just really cool. I loved all of that stuff too. The, the, the movement mechanics in this really great. Um, I'm not sure how much else there is to say about Tinykin, considering neither of us has seen the ending of the game. We usually do try to at least get a little, get to the ending. This one was a bit of a special case, considering that it was something we were both playing with kids and yeah, over the holidays, holidays and whatnot. Um, but uh, this is a really fun game that surprised me. I put it on literally thinking like, I just need to pick something off of the Game Pass list that won't involve people's body parts being torn off. 
And I ended up sticking with it and really enjoying it a lot. So I would definitely recommend Tinykin to folks. Uh, it's on a lot of platforms. Uh, so if you are looking to play it, it's on um, it's on Steam, it's on Xbox, including Game Pass, uh, and that includes the PC version as well. Um, it's on PlayStation and it's on Nintendo Switch. And there is a free demo uh, for the Nintendo Switch, which is a nice uh, plus if you aren't sure. Um, so I would definitely recommend folks check this one out. And um, yeah, uh, I loved it. And it's been a pretty quick episode, uh, considering it's just the two of us and uh, and a pretty short game uh, that we both uh, liked, but didn't uh, have a lengthy argument about or anything like that. So uh, we've got some time for some What's Making Us Happy this week. And as it happens, I have a really, really relevant What's Making Us Happy this week on the theme of little tiny people in big spaces. Uh, this week, a couple of days ago, I discovered that a favorite science fiction author, Greg Egan, had a new book out called Scale. Shane, I know you've read some Greg Egan before, right? Yeah, I have some. I've read a, a good bit of it. I, I think uh, the first one I read, uh, what was that? Uh, Permutation I know the City. One, and I think yeah, I put you onto that City. one. I, that was the first one I think both of us read. Great book. Yeah, I, I've, I've enjoyed a few of his books. Um, the ones that spring to mind most are Permutation City and D- Diaspora. Um, Greg Egan, mm-hmm. if you haven't read any of his books before, is like, um, he's like a very, uh, str- he's a very interesting character. He's a, he's a very, you know, big ideas sci-fi guy. He's been writing since the 90s. Um, a lot of his stuff has like transhumanist themes. Um, but his, he, uh, the thing that really sets his work apart is that he's very, very interested in the speculative science behind his books. He's not just about like throwing out some clever ideas. He likes, it seems like he comes up with a clever scientific uh, you know, conceit first and builds a narrative out from that. Um, Permutation City is a uh, sort of it's a early, it's, I think it came out in 1994. So it's a pretty early uh, sort of transhumanist narrative about the idea of like uploading people's brains into, uh, into computers. Uh, but it spins out from there into some really thought provoking ideas about like the nature of reality and, and so on. And, and Diaspora, which I just read last year, um, I don't remember when that one came out. It's it's also not super new or anything, but it's a it's a really really great book. Also on the idea of like, well, what if human beings become computer people? Um, but uh, much more on a sort of a, a like grand time scale and about the idea of like, well, what does it look like on a you know on a millennia long time scale for human beings consciousnesses to explore uh, you know the the reaches of the universe? What does what does that look like? Um, Great books. And then uh, I saw that he had a new book out uh, as of a couple of days ago. Uh, and the the summary just made me laugh. Um, because this, first of all, didn't it didn't it both didn't sound like a Greg Egan thing and did. Um, here's here's the summary that was that was on his I saw this on uh, he's on Mastodon. And so I, I saw him post about this. And I, I just I started laughing because in, in some ways, it sounds like a parody of a of a Greg Egan story. Um when electronics importer Kara Leon goes missing, private investigator Sam Merjerif is hired by her sister to investigate. Kara is eight times taller than Sam, but evidence soon points to players much smaller than either of them. As Sam and his cross-scale colleagues pursue the case, it becomes apparent that Kara's disappearance is linked to the development of technology with the potential to reshape their whole society. 
and radically alter the balance of power between the scales. So this is this is a world, this is a alternate universe where because of particle physics, of course, because Greg Egan, um, people and all life uh, exists at seven different scales, all half size of the scale before. So there's scale one people who are regular size. And then there's scale two, which is half of that size. Scale three, you know, half of that size again. Uh, Sam is in the middle. And then the tiniest people at scale seven are really, really little. And there's all sorts of interesting little scientific quirks about the differences between the scales. So you know, life, including like, uh, like, you know, single cellular life and everything exists at all of the scales. Um, but not all everything does. So for example, the people at scale seven, there's no, Oh, uh, another important detail about this, because this is particle physics and not just like borrowers or whatever. Um, a, all of the people at all of the scales have the same mass and roughly equivalent strength. So you might have a person who is like, you know, six feet tall and a person who is like, yeah, Ant-Man rules, almost, almost invisible people that weigh the same as regular people. So for example, they have to be really careful about where they step because if they step on, you know, if a scale seven person steps on scale one dirt, they'll stick in, they'll like sink into it like a person walking on stiletto heels or something. Um, uh, but also people at scale seven, they don't have metal because metal doesn't scale down that far. Um, so they have to like use bone knives and things like that because, you know, there's nothing stronger in the universe than scale seven bones. Um, I, I, I love Greg Egan. He's so weird. It, he, he's he wrote so a whole, weird. he wrote a whole book about like a world where the speed of light was like slower than a bus. I, like, like I, I can't remember if I'm remembering that right. He oh, loved I, it. I think that was a short story, and I think I remember that one too. But now I can't remember what it was called. That yeah, was too. I'm, uh, yeah, I, I'd, I'd have to go back. He's done a lot of short. His his writing works great in short stories because he's really good yeah. at these like like hyper speculative ideas. Of, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, good stuff. Um, I, I scale is kind of a, a mid, it's a, it's one of it's a, it's a full length novel, but it's a little shorter than some of his mm-hmm. others, like, uh, like permutation city. I'm already, I started it yesterday morning and I'm already like, I've got to ask this one through. How are the characters? Because that's the, that's his like Achilles heel is writing. <laughs> it really is sound <laughs> that talks absolutely. like real people. Um, they are not, they're, you know, they're, they're Greg Egan characters, which is to say yeah. that like, they're, <laughs> they're all, um, you know, little single note people whose, whose job it is to, uh, to discover the science that he is so cleverly arranged. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yes, yes. But, uh, but it's still good stuff. You know, I, I'm still enjoying it quite a lot. I'm really and, looking uh, forward to reading this. Yeah. And doing it as a mystery story. Um, it was, I think quite yeah, that's good cool. for his for his um you know his thing because like if your yeah, if your characters all his are, paper are kind thin, of a what if you know like yeah are, yeah and, and if your characters are little like paper thin uh you know puppets there to discover your you know your writerly secrets um then it's uh it, it, having them be uh you know people involved in a missing persons case is actually great um because you know of course you're uncovering things constantly throughout it's it's i think it's really fun and, and well done and um i'm enjoying it quite a lot and it was very apropos because it, you know playing through tinykin thinking about tinykin and then suddenly reading a book about about little people um but not That's just fun. like how fun would it be to be a little person who could uh who could climb up uh on top of a you know uh 
sofa as if it was a, a mountain. In this case, those people would sink right through that sofa uh, <laughs> unless it was built for them. So interesting, uh, interesting little sci-fi conceit. I would recommend checking out Scale. Greg Egan is a really, like I mentioned, he's kind of a weird character. He, uh, he uh, makes a point of uh, keeping it such that no photos have exist of him online. He's got uh, some pretty, uh, I think, interesting ideas about the the future and has for years about the future direction of uh, AI that I think he is being proven more right every day. Um, maybe we should all try to limit our uh, our digital footprints on this world. Um, and so, you know, he he has a website. He is on Mastodon. Um, I was kind of surprised to see he was on Mastodon, frankly, because he he's he's always seemed sort of like very private. Um, but even there, he's you know he's Mastodon's not pretty private pictures of any kind. Yeah, that's true. So um, anyway, go to his website, which looks very nineties, and uh, you'll find links to the book. Um, it's uh, it's print on demand via Amazon. Uh, I don't actually know what his publishing situation is, but you can just buy the book as like a Kindle. Uh, you know, a Kindle book, um, or you can buy a, an Amazon print on demand, or you can buy it via Smashwords or whatever. I, I'm pretty sure he's basically just self-publishing these days, um, which, you know, Way to go, Greg. cool if it works for him. So yeah, check it out. Scale by Greg Egan. That's E-G-A-N. The thing I want to say I'm just having a lot of fun with right now um, is popping up in a lot of the news and things like that. It's called Chat GPT. Uh, uh-huh. Reagan, have oh, you yeah. messed around with this? Uh, yeah. Speaking, speaking of terrifying AI. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't, after having spent a lot of time with it, I don't, um, I don't find it terrifying. Uh, I find it kind of exciting, uh, but it is definitely uh, kind of out there and feels extremely science fiction to me. Um, the, the, I'm probably the wrong person to fully explain this in a blurb on a podcast. There's a lot to say about the topic, but uh, ChatGPT is an application layer example of um, a AI model called GPT-3. That's a uh, an example of something called a uh, transformer, uh, or GPT is general purpose transformer, I believe. And basically, what this app does is it predicts text and. You know, it's if you were to give it a piece of text and say, you know, hey, what comes next? It's going to be pretty good at giving a, a follow up. Um, and it does that by having been trained on a vast, vast amount of the world's writing available on the Internet. Um, and, you know, it basically tries to emulate a kind of a con uh, a conversational style and, you know, a, a, and, and writing in general. Um, so you can give it questions, you can engage it in dialogue, and it provides extremely, extremely human-like answers, much more so than any technology that I've used before. Um, yeah, I, th- I think people listening to this podcast have probably already heard about GPT or ChatGPT or maybe even experienced it. Um, but like, what are you what are you doing with it? That like, I, I basically hmm. just sort of dicked around with it doing some... F- I had it write a description of some magical items uh, for mm-hmm. like Dungeons and Dragons. I was like, write a description of a wizard's orb and tell me all of its, uh, you know, its magical properties and powers in a in a fantasy right. setting. And it, it spat something out. And then um, you can, what's fun about it is that it's conversational. So you can ask it to do revisions or you can ask it to make mm-hmm. changes or ask it for more, more details. So I said, that's, that's cool. But now make it about Muppets. And it was like, you know, the the orb of, 
of fun is a magical item in the world of the Muppets. It was created by the great wizard Kermit, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, wow, it, it just transformed the this D&D item description into a Muppet version. Um, and it did it pretty convincingly. So um, that that kind of stuff was really fun to mess around with. But I haven't done anything like, oh, you know, absolutely. And that kind of um, that kind of is interesting because that is something I've I've messed around with as well. It's really fun for coming up with uh, things like children's bedtime stories, uh, which I've done a few times. Mm, I need to do that. Um, and uh, you know, my son loves to ask me for self insert fanfic of his favorite media properties, which is uh, you know the thing he always wants for a bedtime story. And sometimes I'll oblige, and Chat GPT uh, takes a lot of the <laughs> annoyance out of that. Uh, but um, the, the the things that it is really good at um and that i'm actually finding it useful for because it is as a toy it's excellent it feels like you know you can ask it to write anything you can you can say uh give me a give me a short story where the characters from transformers beast wars play dungeons and dragons with each other right and it will do that it'll give you a, uh it'll tell you well uh megatron is the dungeon master and uh he does this and this and you know, Rat Trap uh, plays a thief and stuff like that, right? So I see we um, both went to uh, Dungeons and Dragons uses for this thing. Yeah, I mean, it's fun. It's fun to to get it to you know, fa- to to give you f- fantasy stuff, right? Um, although that said, uh, it it does badly at one of the things I really wanted it to be good at, which is uh, I told it give me a list of fantasy dwarf names. I'm always needing like you know, fantasy character names. Uh, and it literally just gave me a list of uh, that they're all names right out of Lord of the Rings. Go figure, you know, because it's mm. it's plumbing all of this text. And it's like, well, here are some dwarf names. Yes, those are dwarf names. But I wanted original. I said original dwarf names. Uh, and it's like, uh, well, how about Feely and Keely? And I'm like, uh, not so much. I know those guys. Um, what this what this tool really is good for um is uh it's it's because it's interactive and you can go back and forth with it it's extremely trainable um uh you can um here's one example right i i i was trying to come up with um examples of things that a particular job title does on a day-to-day basis not my job title Something that I I needed to to describe for work. This is something there is a lot of text about this kind of thing on the internet, right? There are resumes, there are job descriptions, there are articles, right? Um, and so when you have something like that, uh, and you're able you're able to ask it really good fact based information about it, and most you of have the to time, be careful with the fact based you do have to be careful you, you absolutely have to be careful and you have to check its work because uh the term is hallucinate uh chat gpt can kind of hallucinate sometimes it will it errs on the side of trying to provide you an answer uh even when it might not be able to provide you with a quality answer right mm-hmm. so uh, it's a bullshitter, basically. It, it it is a virtual bullshitter in many cases, but it's not necessarily it's not intentionally a bullshitter. It is just an answer machine that will spit out an answer if you tell it to give you an answer. So you have to use it carefully. You have to check its work, um, and when you ask it questions, you have to ask it the right questions. You have to ask it questions that it could conceivably give you a real answer for, right? 
Uh, and ex- it's been a big learning experience learning to use this in a way that does uh, return real answers because you have to keep its limitations in mind. Um, and so there's only that's only come for me through using it a lot. Um, I have this on my phone. I'm, I'm using it all the time because I just find it fun. Um, but you know, the fact that you can then go back to it and say, okay, take this list and, uh, okay, take items one through three and turn each of those into a short descriptive paragraph, right? Easy. It can do that. Or you can give it, uh, five or six paragraphs of something that you copied from the internet and say, give me a summary of this. Um, and, uh, and then at the end, give me three bullet points. Um, and then also give me, uh, a, uh, a final bullet point. That's a refutation or a critical statement. And it will do all of that. And I find that incredibly useful. It's, it's like a, uh, it's like a, it's like a, a conversation partner when you're brainstorming or thinking through things. Um, you have to be careful with it. You can't just, you can't put it in charge. You have to stay in charge and you have to be the human being that's responsible. But um, when you are doing a, like a research-based task um, and you're particularly at that early brainstorming stage or you're doing like some light formatting or rewriting, I have found it genuinely useful. And this is the kind of work that I did not foresee AI being genuinely useful for. So that's been really fun. A lot of, a lot of cool, fun things to do with it. And I foresee actual real useful things to, to do with it. I'm, I'm starting to find them myself. It doesn't uh, fill you with dread that your entire uh, job role will be automated away by the time you're. Uh, Absolutely you know, not. And I do. I don't think that AI is going to replace people. I think people that use AI are going to replace people that don't. Um, <laughs> okay. I, I, I think that it is. I mean, maybe I'm going on too long about this. This is a topic that I love to talk about. But if you look at the um, transportation space, right, there's a reason that human beings have not taken have not fully taken their their hands off of the wheels of uh, AI powered, um, you know, self-driving cars yet, right? the, The car will drive itself, but you have to keep your eyes on the road and you are responsible for its driving, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, if, if your, if your Tesla careens into a crowd, which, you know, it might, uh, it is your job to hit the gas, hit the brakes because you, you have judgment. You understand the real world. Um, I do think it's, there's this interesting possibility. You know, we see this idea. This is a very Greg Egan uh, conversation, actually. Maybe I would love to mm. hear what he thinks about AI. But um, yeah, he uh, follow but, him on Macedon. <laughs> yeah, I guess I should. Uh, I will. Um, the we're kind of um, we're kind of we we foresee this idea of general purpose uh, artificial intelligence. The idea of a actual artificial consciousness if if you want to call it that right uh something that can really think um and and what does that really need it needs to have um like an understanding of the world uh it needs to have uh you know the ability to to reason and and have essentially basic common sense things like that well um i would never have thought we would approach that in the like sidelong fashion of predicting text but 
in order to predict and output rational text that describes the world and makes sense, we have had to approach general purpose artificial intelligence in a very weird way. So I find this to be really interesting, um, like both as a like a sci-fi concept and now today as an actual tool that I'm using every day. That's weird and interesting and cool. And that's a good place for us to uh, to wrap it up for this week. So thank you, Shane, for joining me on this episode of The Short Game. I'm continuing to try and get things back on track. My entire life has been upended, continues to be upended by uh, the new addition to our family. Um, I know you've been hearing me say that for months now, but, you know, it is it is uh, it is still things. It's are still those first few weird. months that are <laughs> the, the most disruptive ones. Yeah, man, our I'm, my my uh, new my three three months old uh started daycare uh this week and that's both freeing and also uh kind of terrifying my wife has has started back at work and um there's a whole lot of uh, learning involved in <laughs> getting three children out the door to daycare in the morning just three children of various ages and <laughs> mobility and willingness to cooperate is a real adventure every single morning um so Good times over here at the Kelly household. Um, so uh, thank you listeners for continuing to bear with us on some slight differences in our schedule. But uh, I think it's been a good time and I'm really eager to see what's coming out. We're looking at a really exciting 2023 full of games that are are scheduled for release that I cannot wait to check out. So stick with us and thank you for listening to The Short Game. You can find our show on the internet at www.theshortgame.net. You can also find us on the socials. We're on Twitter at underscore short game, and we're on Mastodon at short game at zork.social. I love that. Thank you. Uh, Just set it up. Uh, You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the short game. If you can support the show at even just a dollar a month, then you get instant access to our discord, which is where we talk about games and the show. It's where we uh, we talk about episodes that have come out and are about to come out. It's where we plan things. It's just a good online hang if you need one of those. Um, Everybody who supports the show at even just a dollar a month gets access to that. And if you support at a higher level, I will send you some stickers. Uh, So we appreciate that and all of our patrons. Thank you, patrons. Um, You can also find me on uh, Mastodon at Reagan at bird dot rodeo. And Shane, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at 8BitShane and also on Mastodon at 8BitShane at... M-A-S-T-D M-S-T-D-N dot <laughs> social. I, I might is, change this that. Is, this is the problem with Mastodon. I don't like that. I don't like that one. Whole it, it's hard to say. Thing. Yeah, I, I, I yeah. think hard, the ma- actual Mastodon dot social was like full. Yeah, and then, yeah that's a thing. Uh, there's like off-brand <laughs> Mastodon dot social. I was like, oh, that, that seems like a good backup. Have, now I have to yeah. explain that. So I, I'm going to switch over to spell it out every time. Yeah, that was that was what kept me away. Like, there's a really nice, if folks are looking for a place to join Mastodon, there's a really nice games-focused server called mstdn.games that I would recommend as, as a place to start. Um, if you are not a podcaster who has to read the spelling of their Mastodon handle on the air every time. Um, but if you're looking for, like, a, a games-focused place that seems chill and seems to be well-moderated and... Uh, and run by people who aren't uh, 
aren't the worst kind of gamers, um, but instead seem to be pretty chill, uh, I would check that place out, mstdn.games. But I did not put our show account there or my personal account there because I have to say the words mstdn.games every time. That would would bug me. I like bird.rodeo. Anyway, you can find us on all of those places. Thank you, listeners. And thank you so much for listening to The Short Game.